Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 335th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that never stays quiet, no matter how hard you try to keep us sealed. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter, and my co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we are here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. Looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your checks, uh, plan your specs, chat on a great Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com. Save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, what do we have on our busy agenda this week? This week, we're going to lead off with the metagame and review on Magic Online. We've got modern and pioneer challenges to talk about. Then we're going to move into segment two, the top movers, both in paper and online. Segment three is our cards to watch. You and I have some delightful picks, and we have a pro trader pick as well that's good. And then we're going to get into our topic of the week, talking a little bit about sealed product. What with some things have made amazing gains lately, you know, what's the good, what's the bad? Yeah, we're two years in from the advent of the um, collector booster era. And, uh, yeah, probably a good time to talk about sealed strategies. Uh, all right, kicking things off with the MGGO Metagame Week in Review. Modern Challenge from July 30th was mostly standard fare. Amulet Titan finishing first, uh, also in sixth. We had four-color Omnath in second place. Creativity Combo with three Fable of the Mirror Breaker in third. Blue-Red Murktide in both fourth and seventh. Uh, burn in eighth, and by far the most interesting deck of the week was food combo with Asmo and the uh, Witches Oven, etc., alongside three Emery Lurker of the Lock popping its head up uh, after being nearly drowned by the rest of the format for the better part of half a year. Well, actually, uh, there is no Witches Oven listed in this deck. Oh, really? Amazingly enough. Yeah, I know, right? You would think that a deck. That's all about Asmore, the card Asmore, and the Underworld Cookbook would have four copies of the Witch's Oven, but that's nowhere to be seen. Instead, we're like doing dirty things with Goblin Engineer. We're swapping out food no, tokens. No, 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 no. For... There's four Cookbook main. Sorry, did I say Oven? Yeah, I meant Cookbook. Yeah, you meant uh, okay. Underworld Cookbook, not Witch's Oven. I know it's it's a natural mistake to make. They're both one mana. They're both uh, ridiculously good at what they do. And often played alongside each other in various circumstances. But uh, yeah, so Asmo in four cookbook makes way more sense. And then Goblin Engineer's Ledger Shredder as a four of in here. So this would be, if this yeah. kept moving along, this would be a third list running four Ledger Shredder doing well in, in modern top aids. Well, I mean, this is a, a time sieve deck, so you're going to get all kinds of goodness going on. And you're just bringing... Uh, cookbook back and forth you're doing free things with shredder and oval chase daredevil academy manufacturer plus time sieve <laughs> oh 
Oh, that's so dirty. I love it. I love this is a this looks like a fun deck to play. I would not want to click through this deck though. Playing it on Magic Online, Urf. Yeah, it's terrible. I've watched streamers play this deck, and I think one of the reasons you see don't see a lot of it is definitely how annoying it is to play, and and also tricky. It's it's hard in paper to sequence correctly. So moving over to Pioneer Challenge from July thirty first, not to be outdone. Plenty of spice over here. Black red mid range first again. Boring kind of stalwart of the format that seems to anchor the whole thing. Fourth place was Grease Fang Combo, which was exciting last week, but now it's passe. Uh, Mono Green in fifth, Black Red Midrange again in sixth, the Sacrifice uh, Focus deck in seventh, and Bant Spirits, which is basically Blue White Spirits with four Collected Company in eighth. But that Spice, ooh, Green Red Aggro finished second in this tournament including three Embercleave, three Annex Hardened in the Forge, four Burning Tree Emissary, four Eidolion of the Great Ravel, four Fanatical Firebrand, three Kari Zev Skyship Raider, two Monastery Swift Spear, two Torbrand Thane of Red Fell, four Bonecrusher Giant, two Lightning Strike, two Play with Fire, four Kumano Faces Kakazan, two Castle Embereth, four Den of the Bugbear, two Ramanup Ruins, one Sokanzan Crucible of Defiance. This is like every good red card from the last four years of standard. I was thinking this looked like a sweet, sweet cube deck, but like the um, the goodness of Burning Tree into Eidolon or Burning Tree into Kari Zev, just, you're going to get so much value, especially if you went turn one Kumano, man. Like this is beautiful. I, I, I don't want to change a thing in here. And you always got to love the, the value of Bonecrusher Giant, man. It's the most... One of the most commonly played spells in Pioneer, getting the full four of here. And two, only two Torbrand kind of hurts, but you don't have room for very many four drops in this deck. And being back on the, like, finish people out of nowhere with an Embercleave plan in a format where this might that might not be expected, pretty sweet. I mean, you slap Embercleave on an Annex, you're just going to start crying. <laughs> so, that deck's cool. That was a second place deck. The third place deck was also super cool. This is Transmogrify, last seen in Modern doing work, being pushed backward into Pioneer now that it has some additional tools to fool around with. And the Transmogrify plan is always the same. You're going to get a token creature into play, then for four mana, you're going to exile that creature, flip cards off the top till you hit a, a creature card that technically has to be... Uh, I guess there's no restriction. It can be anything. A creature yeah, card, The restriction yes. comes in with the backup copy or the fifth copy of Transmogrify in quotes, which is Luca Coppercoat Outcast, because his ability is exile a creature, then reveal creatures, but it has to be a creature with a higher converted mana cost. And in this deck, you just have big creatures and tokens, so his, his ability, minus two works much the same way. You've also got Fable of the Mirror Breaker, which is proving to be a multi-format superstar. It's basically S-tier as far as I'm concerned. Does everything you want it to do. Did tons of work when I played it in EDH this weekend. Does work in Standard. Does work in Pioneer. It's getting played in Modern. It's a cool cube card. I think, and I've sold a bunch of copies of this lately. Anything, Any version of this I post sells pretty quickly. So yeah. I suspect it, like all the versions are gainers. And it's cute here because you can use it to do a whole bunch of stuff. First of all, the first thing it does is make a token creature which is exactly what this deck needs then it lets you 
filter your draws on the next turn, which helps you get to the Transmogrify to combo off. And then later it lets you copy creatures once you get something big in play. Maybe you need additional assistance to put it away. And the creature in question is often going to be Titan of Industry out of uh, Streets of New Capenna. Three copies of this mythic in this deck. This is a 7-7 for 7 with Reach and Trample. And when it enters the battlefield, you choose two. Destroy target artifact or enchantment. Target player gains five life. Create a 4-4 green rhino warrior creature token or put a shield counter on a creature you control. I'm guessing that most of the time this is shield counter on Titan plus 4-4 Rhino. So you're getting 11-11 on the board across two creatures, one of which has a shield counter for 7 mana, except it's not 7 mana because you probably transmogrified into it. You uh, absolutely did. Um, I love a deck with uh, five ways to do the transmogrify and only three targets because you're going to do this and you're going to win or they're somehow going to answer this and then you're going to lose. Uh, you know, you got the briefcase. Uh, Essica's Chariot is cute. Um, you don't get... If you can get somehow a Titan of Industry into play, you've got your Fable flipped and then you've got your Chariot going, you know, they're they're probably going to concede, but it's it's cute to have all that going on nonetheless. The sideboard has some really fun things to... Uh, to transmogrify into as well you got rurik thar the unbowed so every non-creature spell they take six carnage tyrant can't be countered trample hexproof just get wrecked <laughs> and then uh void winnower in case you hit um the what's the the odd one is obosh the prey piercer what's the even one it brings stuff back from the graveyard i don't remember the name some uh blue black horror oh thing. gyruda yeah, Garuda. So there's also some cute corner cases here. If you manage to get a Titan on board and you have a flipped Fable of the Mirror Breaker, you can copy the Titan and then attack with Essica's Chariot, and Chariot will copy will create a copy of any token you control, not just the two two yep. cat tokens. So you could end up with three Titans. <laughs> I, I don't know anybody who's gonna keep playing, but I, I approve that they're gonna stay in it until the bitter so, end. So Pioneer looking very healthy. Lots of fun stuff going on there. And this is like in a world where Paper Magic still hasn't made a full comeback. And there's plenty of, uh, you know, experimentation going on in these formats. So I like where Pioneer's at, like where Modern's at. I think it's it's so odd that during the pandemic has, I think, been a golden era for Pioneer and Modern. Can you imagine where Pioneer would be if they'd bothered to, like, put resources into it on Arena? No, I mean, yeah truth and if there'd been no pandemic as well i mean this would be we'd be in the position that i predicted a while back when they first announced it which was that there's there's a little bit one of my concerns with it was that at the lgs level pioneer and modern rub off each other it doesn't necessarily bring additional people like if you have like can get 16 people to the table on a friday night that's kind of the reach of your lgs if half of them go with pioneer and half of them go with modern it weakens the whole scene and I'm not sure it really adds anything because both of them can be potentially the ratcheting up of your commitment to magic beyond your involvement in drafts and standard. So it's always been a little weird to me. And I always felt, kind of felt like they expected modern to go the way of legacy and kind of get beyond them in, in terms of their ability to reprint into it. But <laughs> I don't think we're in that circumstance in actual fact as it has played out because of the way that they are cranking out product and all the different ways that they can generate reprints now. 
modern seems safely out of reach from becoming legacy. Yeah. Um, you know, modern's expensive, but it's not prohibitively. So you can, the, what's the most expensive part generally of a format is your lands and, uh, fetch lands are pretty reasonably priced. Thanks to modern horizons to at least the enemy fetches. Well, I mean, there's, there's plenty, there's plenty of complaining going on about four color Omnath because modern horizons two introduced a massive pile of playable mythics that are often run as two to three to four ofs. And so four color Omnath is also known as four color money pile because everything it's running is an expensive mythic from MH2. Well, that's because if you're going to make a set that's going to impact uh, the whole format, you got to make it good enough. So we'll, uh, we'll see what modern horizons three uh, does or pioneer horizons one. You know, both of those I'd expect to be expensive and awesome. Anyway, moving on over to segment two, top paper movers. Not a not a super busy week here. Mana Crypt, uh, modern, uh, not modern, masterpiece series from Kaladesh. Foil Mana Crypt's going from about 740 to 870, but not over the last week. I threw this in here because I had been, I was looking at this over a longer horizon and I wanted to flag it because we often miss cards that grow more slowly over time given the way that we snapshot things. Um, and Mana Crypt is, and Soul Ring have been kind of bouncing off that $1,000 barrier for a while, but there's just 12 listings left of the Mana Crypts. And even though it's gotten a couple of different reprints since this printing, these still seem to be the premium Mana Crypt. It's more premium than the very original copy that was the book promo from back in the, the late 90s um, and all other versions. It, there's, not, there's no version of this card that is even half the price of the Masterpiece series version. So it's a, a fairly beloved uh, printing and with just 12 listings left and CK being out of stock at $1,000, I have very little trouble believing that Left alone, with no similar printing, I can see these going 1500 plus within the next few years. That said, I do have a suspicion that we're going to get inventions again. I think they're too popular for them to leave alone. Could be something as soon as the Brothers War, but it could also be true that Brothers War is going to be antiquity cards slid in there like they're doing legends cards for dominaria which would make perfect sense so and or it could be the blue it could be a furthering of the blueprint cards as showcases that we saw as includes in some of the secret layers last year so there's a lot of things that could happen before they double back to inventions i'm sure they will one day i just don't know when it'll happen I'm not so sure that they would go back to, like, invention... I agree that eventually they'll do a set of, like, sweet artifacts in some kind of unusual frame. I'm not convinced that they'll go back to the invention frame directly. I think this is... Given the combination of when it came out and what it is, I don't think there will be another version that will come close. Like, you mentioned Soul Ring, and Soul Ring's main competition in terms of the masterpiece is do you want people who want I mean, you're fighting with people who want to spend a ridiculous amount of money on a beta soul ring. Yep. You know? And so there, there's that competition, and you have to decide where you're going to put your giant stack of money for your fast mana. Mana Crypt, there's no question. You know, you've got your... Um, it was Double Masters or Eternal Masters? No, it was... 
Double Masters 1, right? That had yes. Mana Crypt? Yes. So there's Foil Borderless uh, Mana Crypt there, and that's what you'll go for if you don't want to drop the nearly a grand on the shiny gold one. And the fact that it's so shiny gold really helps all the inventions out. So I can, I, I think you're right. I think that um, seeing this hit 1500 won't shock me. Uh, I don't own any. Do you? I don't know if you have any left, but I mean, if I had one, I would just be keeping it and uh, watching it just turn those numbers over every few days. I buy list exited to CK on Masterpiece Soul Rings at 300, and I have eight copies acquired that way, so I'm way up on those, and they're just sitting there being held. I think the only mana crypts I have left are in my primary decks. I think there's one in Brea and one in Atraxa um, for EDH. And there is precedent for them to go back to the well on some of these frame concepts because we that's what they did with Zendikar Rising. They doubled back five years after battle for Zendikar and gave us another version of the expeditions. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be the same frame. Let me be clear. I think it, they could do like okay. a blue platinum thing but otherwise use a very similar motif sure and and they and they would probably be very well received yeah i agree with you on that i think that uh, eventually some like in second generation inventions with like some kind of circuitry diagram going on in the borders sure we'll we'll see something like that at some point and you know but this mana crypt will continue to appreciate and nobody's going to come close <laughs> Also on our list here, we've got Emmercool, The Promised End out of Eldritch Moon, 62 to 70, just 12, 13% gains, but I want to talk about it later in the cast, so getting it on the list. Living End out of Time Spiral, likewise, 15 to 20, this is the original version, so up 33%, it's the original printing, getting low stock pretty much everywhere. Very similarly, Painter's Servant uh, out of Shadowmoor has only ever had the, the one printing in at all foil or non-foil other than its masterpiece printing those are going for about 200 a piece so i'm not super surprised to see original pack foils going 110 to 160 lately 45 percent gains or so then we've got a couple of miriam uh, momentum picks we've got thunderbreak regent foils out of dragons of tarkir going four to six pretty sure i have some super hot game day promos of thunderbreak regent sitting around that i should drag out and try to sell i haven't checked what those are worth for lately but they're probably doing all right i was gonna say wasn't that a um i feel like that was a travis pick while you were gone the game day store promos these look these look these look really good in person and there are five left on tcg player so they're headed for probably 15 to 20 plus uh that's exactly what travis said in seven weeks ago he picked them to go six to 15 good job travis you still got it <laughs> uh, then we've got Miriam Sentinel Worm herself, uh, which is definitely what was moving the Thunderbreak Regents. Uh, this is the showcase foils, so the ones that are in the D and D rulebook style, going from five to eight dollars. I could easily see those hitting fifteen to twenty down the road. Uh, is there? There's an etched foil of Miriam too, right? That is correct, and it is ten thousand times prettier. Uh, what is that going for? I've got one of those in uh, my Ur-Dragon deck that I got relatively cheap. I can't imagine it's too much yet. Generally speaking, um, you know, the face com the face 
of the deck is not the expensive one, but that's going... Yeah, it's around $6. So, you know, it's there, but it's not crazy expensive yet. I'm curious about those pre-release copies of Miriam. There's very few of those left, and they're only about $4, but I'm willing to bet you they're going to be hard to find and the kind of thing that it will end up on the CK buy list if they're not already. Let's see. Are they? Yeah, they're offering 275 cash, 358 credit so far for the pre-release, but I could see that doubling down the road. Yeah. Uh, Miriam... Uh, every dragon that comes out is going to make it better as long as it's in the, the teamer colors. So, you know, white dragons and black dragons will not help as much. But Miriam uh, also really benefits from all the dragon love that's been going on the last few years. Gem hide slivers out of Time Spiral. Foil's going 20 to 32. That's on the back of Sliver Rumors. There's been Sliver Foil Extended Arts, I believe, that have been showing up in uh, Secret Layer packages that have been yep. delivered lately so people figure that maybe we're gonna have some slivers in an upcoming set we had hopeful initiate at a midnight hunt uh dollar dollar eighty to three dollars just for the non-foils 67 percent gains kind of hard to make any money there although you know if you had these in your crackings or draft chat from midnight hunt probably worth sending them in somewhere standard and pioneer play largely drive uh driving those shifts then we've got Haunting Wind out of Antiquities, which is, I'm pretty sure, a reserve list card, going 65 to 110, 69% gains. All I can, I've got on this is that people think they're supposed to be buying artifact-related things as we head into the Brothers' War. I mean, it's also a really great uh, anti-treasure tech if you want to get into it. You know, every time, So it's three and a black for an enchantment. Every time an artifact is tapped or its activation cost is paid... Uh, that artifact's controller takes one. <laughs> That's don't tell anybody that I play EDH with in the pro, pro traders to put that in against me when I'm playing Corvold, please and thank you. Because listen, it's not like anybody that is in our Discord listens to this podcast <laughs> anyway, so you're good to go, buddy. Uh, I'm not so sure. All right, finishing this off, two-handed axe foils out of Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate, seventy-five cents to three dollars. That's going to be three hundred percent gains. All I've got on this is that it's a Carlac card, one of the uh, cooler generals to come out of CLB uh, because it uh, gives extra turns and this gives things double strike and double strike plus ex extra, not extra turns, extra combat steps and extra combat steps plus double strike tends to be a game winning combination sometimes. Yeah, uh, if you get to, you know, attack more than once, there's more than a few red cards that'll do that. Uh, go crazy. Get... You know, don't forget to give it double strike with a different equipment and uh, go to town and send me some pictures of you attacking for a couple hundred. I'd like that. Sliding on over to the top Magic Online movers of the week, we've got Glasspool Mimic Extended Arts. With, and, of course, there's no collector boosters on online, so these are a promo distribution pattern. 7.64 tickets to 12.04 tickets. That is 58% gains on the back of EDH and Pioneer and Standard Play. Days out of Nemesis, original copies, 6 Tickets to 10.3 on the back of, I think, winning Legacy and Vintage Play. Uh, and Ice Fang Coatl, which uh, was popular when it first came out and then had faded for a while and then came back and faded and has been faded again for, for some time now. 2.19 to 4.70 tickets, 114% gains. This is on the back of a wild modern deck that did well that I guess you can refer to as Omnath Snakes. 
This is yeah. A, it's a four color Omnath plus Yorion build, and it was first place in the Energy Series ten thousand dollar trial, which uh, I'm not clear if that was a paper tournament or a sponsored online tournament. Uh, I'm not clear either. G series. I, I'd have to double check, but the deck went seven one and one in the series, and was pretty spicy. It had most of the usual cards you'd expect, and then the four Ice Fang Quaddles. Uh, but I think they also snuck in something ridiculous. Wasn't this? Was this the one with the Sasuke Summons? Uh, I don't think. No, if uh, Sasuke Summons was in there, but it did have the um, the Snake Lord, and it had Sashiro. like one. Yeah, Sashiro and a couple of the, I think it had two of the uh, son of Sashiro. I, I, I don't think this version that was from the NRG series had the, the had the extra spice. I don't see the summons and I don't th- see Sashiro. I think it was a magic online build that was flagged as having those things. People that were modifying uh, the, the version that had won. I'll have to track down that list, but I'm pretty sure we've got it right. I think it was a Sashiro in either one or two copies of Sasuke's Summons, and that's just way too cute because you... I think when you cast a snake, you get the summons back, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that is correct. Right. So what you do... like, or It's probably when a snake comes into play, not on cast. Uh, because the Ice Fang Quaddle comes down, and then Yorion blinks it, or something else blinks it. You ephemerate, yeah. use ephemerate or whatever, and then you get the summons back and you make more tokens. <laughs> Whenever a non-token snake comes into play for you. So, yeah. Let me see if I can find summon, find the deck just by searching up summon, summons on goldfish. It's got to be here. I mean, summons is only a $2 foil on TCG right now, but there's only 34... There's only uh, four... Near mint foils, they're mostly a, uh, a a plate or something. Let's see, we've had a lot of sales in the last two weeks, and it's not like you're only going to play. There's multiple people just ordering a playset. Yeah, good job, people. Let's play some uh, some janky snake decks in modern and modern and light that stuff up. I approve highly. Pretty cool stuff. All right, so. Then we had finishing off on Magic Online Movers. We got Collected Company out of Dragons of Tarkir, seven tickets to fifteen. Company's never been reprinted, right? It it had a promo. Uh, I am not a hundred percent sure. No, that's about not that. right. Let's not see. never reprinted. It's just never been reprinted in a in a major set. I think we've got a game day promo of Collected Company, if I'm not mistaken, and maybe a secret layer version. Let's see. We had a secret layer, a game day promo, yeah, I got and right. the original Dragons of Tarkin. Yeah, yeah, okay. So it's it's got three printings now. Um, but on Magic Online, neither of the reprints are relevant. Yeah. So uh, they need to up its drop rate in a treasure chest or something. It's surprising that Collected Company is so cheap, considering the number of decks that'll just pop it in there. Okay, moving on over to Cards to Watch, and I'll... I'm going to mine that, that movement based on uh, my associated research for some good picks here. Emrakul the Promised End is p- looking to push, like pushing 70 to 80 already on TCG Player in the US because it's never been reprinted. Emrakul mm. 
the promised end has dodged reprints left and right in a bunch of places where it could have gotten reprinted the most recent of which was uh double masters 2022 and that means we've only ever had the copies from eldritch moon and inevitably they will give this card a borderless treatment somewhere but in the meantime there are 50 to 55 dollar copies sitting around in europe and it's pretty clear you can unload them for 80 or so shortly and it might even get as high as 100 so if you're buying a cart of object of cards in europe anyway may as well throw a couple of emacruels in there and sell them to the adh crowd in north america i mean yeah you know whenever we can highlight some arbitrage for people uh, i want to do that i am stunned that they have not uh bothered to reprint the promised end in any way like the promised end is commander legal and they seem they, they care most about commander whereas the aeons torn is banned in commander you can't <laughs> play it but it was in it was in a modern masters it's been a pro tour promo it was in ultimate masters and now double masters too what the heck and you're covered on the ck buy list on this card if you're picking them up at 55 because they they offer 46 cash 59 80 credit so it's very little risk uh it's also going to be hard to top the art on the original because it is actually some of the best art in magic it does a really good job showing like the perspective of things the, and the, it's true, the grandeur like... of because in a lot of art of Emrakul, it's just like a big monster, but there's no scale. But the Promised End is shot from down below, so you're looking up in cowering in fear at this towering behemoth that's wrapping its tentacles casually around the tallest buildings in a giant city, which is very great, good use of perspective. They also backlight it so that it's it's got extra gravitas. The, the whole the, the decisions by the artist are... Are all very strong i mean personally if they were going to go borderless on this i would prefer to just get the original art i would uh you know it looks like if you if you look at the card you can see there was some uh stuff underneath the text box i'd, I'd like that i'd be down for that i'd also really like uh them to go back to the uh meld well and give me a card you know double side double sized for something like this just so we can get a perspective on just how incredibly huge it is but there's a a real solid pick that you can get in Europe for uh, a lot less than you can get here, and it's even got uh, you covered on the buy list. Uh, super solid. You actually good pick. You actually just kind of alluded to a concept that I'm curious whether they would ever try. What do you think about meld cards, where yes. the front of the meld cards are new cards, but you on the backside, for instance, two creatures working together, like two legends or something working together. If you have them both in hand at the same time, you can use them to summon Emrakul the Promised Dead, and the backside is an existing card, but now really big. Uh, I I don't have any problem with that. That seems ridiculously sweet. I know they're not as hesitant as they used to be on uh, not having magic backs. You know, that was a whole thing when they first debuted double-sided technology. So if they wanted to... Give me some double-sided, some double-sized Snapcaster Mage. Uh, they want to give me, uh, you know, original Art Shivan Dragon on the the back of two cards put together. I would, I would be pretty into that. I'm not gonna lie. There's a bunch of complexity there that that would need to be unpacked, but I suspect it would be okay because there's no confusion about putting the big card in your deck because it's too big to do it. 
Right. So it, it solves a, a big chunk of the operational problems. Anyway, moving right along. Uh, your first selection of the week? My first pick this week is a dragon. And uh, surprisingly, it's one of the uh, foil dragons from the uh, commander deck. Uh, the Adventures in Forgotten Realm commander, Klaus the Unrivaled Ancient. Uh, I told you about Klaus' will two weeks ago, and that's a sweet card. But Klaus himself um, is in 16,000 commander decks already. Not as the commander, but it's been added to it. And that's heavy on the back of Miriam and the Ore Dragon. I think Klaus is better at what he does than um, Old Nawbone. Because Old Nawbone costs an extra mana, doesn't have haste, requires creatures to get through... Klauth is just flying haste. He's going to attack. He's going to give you a bunch of mana that you can use to dump the rest of your dragons into play. It's a lot of fun, especially if you get Miriam into play, and now you have double the mana. And uh, the foil versions are available for about $10 right now. Uh, I'm picking them to hit 30 bucks in the next year. They're just really, really good, and there's not a whole lot of... Uh, things you can do with this like you might end up with a secret lair of miriam's favorite command favorite people to play with but you know that's the risk we always run and if you want to talk about the um the non-foil the uh, extended art version that's another one that has uh not a lot of um stock there's only like 20 vendors for a to under 30 copies Thir 13 listings the here man yeah so Klaus himself only has uh, 31 listings, uh, counting all versions. And so just so many people are picking up this dragon that I think he's a pretty solid uh, pick to keep going up. And especially with how uh, recent Forgotten Realms was, this is a lot of inclusions for the foil face commander. Why do I feel like this is going to be super cheap in Europe? Let me take a look at that. Sure, take a look at that. I always forget to check Europe. I'm glad that's an impulse. So there's no foil extended arts. The extended, there are the extended arts in Europe are like 20 to 23 versus the 30 plus that's heading for 50. Uh, those are probably a buy. If you're listening, bothering to listen to every second of the cast, then treat that as a shadow pick. If you're already following my advice and snapping some stuff off in Europe, uh, Cloud also looks tasty Makes there. And I'm willing to bet you over in Japan it's going to be the same thing. Probably. People don't love dragons overseas as much as they do here, apparently. But more to the point, the Japanese are probably fine with dragons but they given the popularity of monster hunter but they definitely don't care as much about edh um and heaven forbid they ever decide to change their minds because it'll cost me money just it'll cost all of us a lot of everybody money everybody just stick to their lane and all will be well uh let's see now a cloth's been targeted over in japan so it was available for under 25 for extended arts but they've been bought recently so yeah this looks good it's it's a mop-up job uh on the eas and then it's regular copies that you're calling as the official pick uh there are no regular non-foils because it was one of the um three foil legends in the commander deck you have a choice of foil regular or non-foil extended art uh i'm picking the foil regulars to be clear yeah i think this is real solid Given, given a how confusing the available versions is for this card, uh, and twenty eight listings near mint, pretty steep ramp, 
people are not going to be dying to crack more of this product anytime soon. There is some chance that uh, somebody like the gaming company will drop 40 copies of this onto here in the next six months, but so far it looks good. Well, I mean, the the Draconic Rage deck has a, a couple of um, spicy things going on, like it's got a Dragon's Horde, which is already a relatively popular one. It's got the... Um, the Dragonborn Champion, which we saw the extended art already have its day in the sun. Like, there's there's a lot of good stuff going on there. And uh, if I find the Draconic Rage deck for anything approaching a reasonable price, I'm probably going to pick that up. Seems reasonable to me. My uh, second pick is Living End. Regular copies. Can you believe that both of my singles choices here are non-foil this week? I can believe anything from you, James. Six to 12 months on Living End, I think, is looking pretty good. I'm pretty sure I called foils sometime in the last three months. But regulars also look tasty. Uh, and especially in the EU, um, there are 10 to $12 copies from Time Spiral Remastered floating around in North America. But over in Europe, they're 6 bucks. So to call these to go 6 to 18 within the next 6 to 12 months seems pretty likely as long as Living End keeps using four copies of it, which seems very likely. And Living End keeps doing well in Modern, which seems likely. Um, the format doesn't really seem to be targeting graveyards very hard out of the sideboard. Uh, certainly not to the extent that it has shut Living End out of the format. And we see Living End top 8 all the time. I mean, uh, if once you get past your fear about a secret layer uh, reprint, like where else would they possibly put this? That, that's, the most, that's the only likely place probably for the next year. Because we've, yeah, or, you know, they might... we've already had Commander Collection black, so it, this year will be blue or red or white. It's never going to be black again. Uh, there's no premium set on the horizon that is likely to include this. There could be a renamed version or something in the Lord of the Rings set from when the Return of the King scene where he brings the undead back to fight for him. Right. That could be a... They yeah. could re-skin Living End. And, sure. and that set is going to be modern legal, so that's a possibility. But we're still months off from that, and it's only a maybe. There's a lot of other cards they could put. They could put mass reanimation cards. They could reskin, or they could just create new cards. Yeah, do a completely new mass re. Plus, like the the great thing about a pick like this, people don't need just one living end for their deck. They need four when they decide to pick up the deck. And so, and, and the card is niche enough that it's only ever had two printings in twenty years. Time Spiral and Time Spiral Remastered, and that's it. And Time Spiral Remastered what? was one of the lowest print runs uh, in recent memory. Uh, hence why the boxes are so expensive. And yeah, it doesn't seem to be a place where they can reprint it. So as long as you believe in the deck in Modern, this is looks like a pretty good entry point. I'm with you. This is a good pick. I, uh, I might have to check out some copies myself. Alright, before we double back to my third pick, let's deal with the Pro Trader section of the week. We got Pro Trader Big Hoss. I've, I've got one more. Oh, hit us with your second one. Yeah, yeah. you went, you went um, backwards. Got it. I did. Um, speaking of Time Spire Remastered, uh, Sanguine Bond in the old Border Foil. Uh, we've mentioned a lot of old Border Foils over the months, and it's this one's turn because it's in 41,000 decks. This is the only special version of the card. It's had a bunch of printings. Like, don't get me wrong it's been in a bunch of they different sets the they do but this is the sweet version it is the uh, oh, yeah. old border it is foil 
and there are less than 30 total copies available on TCG Player right now. So it doesn't matter that it was in M10, M14, three Commander sets and Iconic Masters. I am looking at those old border foils, and I am in love. Half the people that have copies left of this on TCG Player are pro traders. Good job, pro traders. Well, uh, I'm picking them to go uh, $20. I think they'll hit 50 once uh, the last, you know, the next five or six copies will move and people will say, oh my God, it's a $30 card. And then they'll crank it up and it'll be 50 before you know it. So you're calling 20 to 50? I think if you went 20 to 40, I'm right on board. 50 is entirely possible. 20 to 40 is safe and, and still a double up. Sure, we'll go 20 to 40. All right, I like that one. And we continue to slowly but surely mount evidence that obfs are actually desired they're just there's just clearly a defined niche and it takes them some time to chip away at the inventory uh as evidenced by when there's a mass release of obfs as if you look at some of the obf rares from modern horizons 2 including things like misty reinforce and scaling turn those are taking way longer to drain out of the market than i would have thought because there's a lot more of them but the OBFs out of Time Spot Remastered, where you only get one out of every 27 packs, and there was no CBs associated with the set. Totally different story. So, uh, Big Hoss, Winds of Abandon, Modern Horizons 1, Foils, calling them to go 10 to 20. The funny part here is that I also called this card, but we're allowing it because I called it episode 202, which was two and a half years ago. So it's like six or seven months after Modern Horizons 1 came out. And I made basically the same pick, 10 to 20, except we're still at 10. <laughs> the only difference is most of the inventory has now hollowed out. And indeed, it looks like his timing is the superior one by far, because you could have just waited till now to follow his pick and had the same effect instead of sinking your money at my foolish direction to get in too early. Uh, the argument here has always been the same. It's the white cyclonic rift of Commander, and it plays out exactly like that most of the time yeah uh this is you know a, a car i was probably in agreement uh you know 120 episodes ago <laughs> about this being a good card and a good pick and uh i remember talking about this before the cast i thought this was a modern horizons 2 card for some reason but no it's modern horizons 1 and we are we are ready for it i think um it is a solid card that people don't play enough of and there are some people who, like, if you cast this against me with my Ur-Dragon deck, I'm going to be able to find five basics. That's it. Um, I don't know how many you're playing in your assorted five-color decks, but there are some decks where you play this against me and I'll be able to find 20 lands. There are others where I'm going to find a much smaller amount. So all of these cards to watch are all very solid picks. I'm not even sure which of them I like the best. They are rated on our rating sheet here somewhere between an 8 and a 9, which is pretty much what everything gets all year long, which is why we don't make a big deal out of the ratings very often. <laughs> I was going to say, what's the last time you or I or Travis put like an up here? It's like, you know what? This is a 5 out of 10. I put, I put a couple of 7s this year on stuff that I thought was interesting to talk about, um, where there was like a, maybe a strong ri like a reprint risk, but if it didn't hit, it was going to be great. Um, but this is the first 10 I put on the sheet all year. And we don't usually draw a lot of attention on the cast to the specifics of the group buys that we offer through ProTrader, but we've been making people enough money lately on these things that it's probably worth highlighting, <laughs> both for the, the, the use case of why you should be a ProTrader if you're listening but still haven't signed up, and also because it would be hard to beat this pick. 
given that it's essentially instant profit and on a scale that the others can't match. The group buys that we did earlier during the release period for Double Masters 2022 got people in on cases of eight collector booster boxes for between $15.50 and $16.50, which is a screaming good deal. Close to you know, $200 a box for things that have been selling for $300 plus, and selling steadily at $300 plus. We're doing another wave this week with some units put aside for new pro traders, where it's not as good as that, but it's still really good. $17.49 is the entry point, and that is still eight uh, collector booster boxes in a sealed case, no less, which carries a premium because if people are looking for a textured foil, they tend to be about one per case. And if the case has been cracked and broken up, you have no idea whether the texture has been found. But if it's sealed, you know you got the best chances possible. And the offer is at $17.49. But I've sold multiple cases recently in the $2,400 to $2,500 range. So to claim that people will get in at $17.49 and be more or less guaranteed to get out at, at least $2,300, $2,400, $2,500 at some point in the next 6 to 12 months seems very likely indeed. And that is a relatively easy, quick 30 to 45% plus profit that easily covers the $100 a year pro trader fees to participate in the group buys and is one of 50 or 60 group buys we ran this year. I mean, like you said, they are going for several hundred dollars more than uh, we are able to get this. And I am continually impressed at your ability to work the phones, as it were, and find deals like this for people willing to move their entire, um, what's the word I want, their entire inventory uh, just to move it to the pro traders and say, here you guys go, I'm moving on to the next thing. I'll let you guys get uh, your profit, I've got mine, and all is good in the world. Um, I'm a little annoyed with you that you did this group buy after the most recent group buy, which took up all of my spare cash. How dare you, sir? How dare you? <laughs> is, is that Dominary United CBs fishing for legends? I didn't. Resale. I didn't want to say what it was because, like, we've had this uh, for the listeners. We've had this discussion before that generally we don't put the pro trader deals on blast like this because of jealousy mainly. It's not, it's not about jealousy. It's it's just that we have a, a blanket policy about keeping all any and all of our content internal for the pro traders. So yeah, we don't we don't like we don't like to be a touch point that like a, we don't want to be a price reference point that anybody else is using to price their own product. So much much easier to keep things on the down low for the pro traders and let them get the benefit. The point is, um, I drained my uh, spare magic cash for that buy. And now there's this one, and I just want to reach through the microphone and th throttle you a little bit. How you just like, I'm impressed. Yeah, this is one of those opportunities, though, where, you know, we may as well segue here because our, our weekly topic is the state of sealed product. And I think where we're at with sealed, if I'm going to put it in a nutshell, is that there are plenty of opportunities to make quite a lot of money in a very reasonable period of time, not a long wait time, on magic sealed product year in, year out for the last three or four years. But you have to be very specific about what you target and what your expectations are. So uh, the first thing I'd want to say here is, um, what do you have currently in inventory for sealed? Because there are 
others out there in the finance game who are uh, apt to pump their own stock. And I just want to be clear with our pro traders and with anybody who listens, you know, what what do we have currently uh, sealed in uh, our storage areas? Uh, I'll go first because it's short. I got two German boxes of Time Spiral Remastered, and I got uh, a bunch of assorted secret layers laying around, and that's it for me in sealed. I am generally not been a big fan of sealed product. Mine's deeper. I've got a bunch of relevant secret layers that are aging well. Been selling a lot of the foils, uh, Stranger Things lately for good profit. Although I did get destroyed on having to ship to Newfoundland in Canada the other day where i that aren't you in canada yeah but it's actually way cheaper for me to ship to the states than it is in canada believe it or not because track that's that is surprising shipping in canada is cheapest generally through canada post or sometimes through net parcel with ups but during the pandemic they've been adding and during this latest uh gas crisis they've been adding uh higher and higher fuel surcharges so i think it was like $14 $14 to ship it to Newfoundland, but like all the additional taxes, fees, environmental fees, and and fuel surcharges ended up to being like $28, which when you take the price I got for it minus... 28 more? No, like 28 total for shipping. Okay. But if I had shipped that... It's still, still doubling your shipping cost. Yeah, wow. yeah. And if I had shipped that to the US, it would have cost me like $7 or something. Um, so it's just, it's just silly. And yeah, so I, I blew myself out of the water there. But... Uh, generally speaking, it's really, especially if you're shipping US to US, it's very efficient to ship most sealed product these days, especially the, now that they have the smaller boxes for secret layers that could be put into standard USPS packaging pretty easily. Um, I've got definitely got a bunch of secret layers on the shelf. I've got a couple of time spiral boxes left. I think I sold, flipped all of my Russian of that. I have not bought very much uh standard related product i don't buy draft booster boxes hardly ever anymore unless it's a premium product Um, right right but even with the double masters 2022 stuff i haven't been looking to hold i think holding is going to work out and i think people that don't have a don't spend a ton of time on mtg finance every day slash week slash month and are more armchair casual about it can probably kick back and relax for a year and then check back in on it and they're going to get a good return probably somewhere in the 30 to 40 percent range i would guess um but i'm happy to flip now out of that stuff leveraging the gap uh between our group buy price and what the market is currently paying because i know i can reinvest it at for an even higher rate of return i'm usually looking for 80 to 100 percent per year from mtg finance so if something's going to appreciate 40 and i'm pretty confident it can't beat that then I'm happy to you know sell it locally, get a pile of cash, reinvest it in something else. Um, okay. I think I also have like an, some commander decks. I've got a bunch of party times uh, that look like they're going to be appreciate well. I think I have an original Atraxa deck on the shelf that somehow I have not managed to sell, which is kind of crazy because it's a uh, bit of an heirloom for the commander precons. Right, number one commander of all time. Uh, sealed <laughs> sealed deck. If somebody wants it, holler at me on Twitter. I'll give you a good price. The I think that's about it for sealed. Oh, I know what I have. I have a whole bunch of Japanese Neo that I've been picking up lately. I probably have 
two or three cases of that because that's one of the only standard CVs that I think is going to have a strong chance of appreciation giving ever given everything that's in it. You know, a fantastic land cycle, good-looking showcase cards, uh, and the Japanese versions are worth more in Japan. They've certainly receded from their their early hype highs, but they're still they still carry a premium. Uh, and the ones from the set booster boxes even more so. Um, Wandering Emperors in there. You've got Jinja Taxis. You got Fable of the Mirror Breaker, Oseju, uh, Grease Fang, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's a very good set. But it is compared to something like, say, Midnight Hunt or Kaldheim or um, you know some of these other standard sets that have been very medium. Strixhaven comes to mind as something that I think people were disappointed in. Uh, very got very excited about the. Uh, the extra treatment cards that were included there, but the set itself wasn't super strong. People just need to understand that standard sets are not supposed to make you money up front. Like, you might be able to flip standard product into hype early on if you get it within the first week or two, but after that, it, the market will force it to a bare minimum of profit as vendors look to exit on anything extra they don't want to get caught holding. And because those are not limited print runs except for the CVs, very, very difficult to make money on draft or set booster boxes at this point, except on a very long horizon. If you look five years out, I think some of the more popular sets, probably Kamigawa is a decent example. Those are probably going to be $160, $180 booster boxes at some point, just because it's, it's a well-regarded set with a cool theme. Um, but I think from a collector slash speculator perspective, you're better off just picking and choosing. Like focus on the, the product that's limited. It only came out at SDCC. It's a secret layer. That's a good secret layer. Those are, and it's only available for a week. Um, or it's, un, you think it's going to be underestimated. Like it's, it's got niche appeal, like the cats and dogs set. But vendors are going to avoid it because they're scared that the market appeal isn't broad enough. Um, Time Spiral Remastered, relatively limited print run. Modern Horizons 2, not such a limited print run, but extremely powerful card pool. Maybe the most powerful ever in any Magic set. And so will be very popular over time. Um, Double Masters 2022, tons of great reprints. Uh, Good alternate art treatments. Um... Dominaria United, and maybe all the sets for the rest of the year, if they're going to keep putting reserve list cards in them. These are all interesting opportunities. Um, but pretty much anything they're willing to mass produce and keep producing, you can just give it a give it a wide berth until it reaches its rock bottom. Like I was just recently picking up Strixhaven collector boosters at 130 because boxes, yeah. Because that just that just seems <laughs> to me that's like Ikoria. Ikoria got that low as well, and people kind of thought it's quote unquote sucked because people. I think one of the problems is that people think that a price getting low means the product's no good. That's not necessarily true. The product could be underestimated. For instance, the the battle bond or the uh, the dual lands, uh, tri lands in Ikoria were definitely underestimated. They've made me a ton of money because if you if you cracked a whole bunch of Victoria CBs, the drop rate of the showcase triumphs was pretty high, and so they've been doubles and triples. 
And one of the things about the Streets of New Capenna CBs is that they adjusted the drop rate of the Triumphs so they're harder to get. And as a result, those have fl- stayed higher three months after release than they ever did with Icoria. 50-50, half, of, half the reason being that everybody understands the Triumphs are excellent now, even in modern. And uh, the other half being that there is that adjusted drop rate. But, you know, CBs are a single print run. If the market can't absorb them because the set as a whole is doesn't have people super excited, or I think in the case of uh, Streets of New Capenna, the set's totally fine. It's just that right after it, we went into the hype cycle for uh, Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate, and then right after that into Double Masters 2022. So Magic players had their attention pulled away quick. And as a result, vendors that weren't sure how much of that product they should take on got caught holding and then they've got a dump because they need to recoup those funds and reinvest them. They're on a very tight cash cycle, a lot of those stores. And that opens up opportunities for sure. So um, you're talking about like, if you can get in at a good price, you're feeling much more confident about it. You know, uh, the Strixhaven, um, I'd have to go back and look at what the exact math is of the, uh, mystic archive and the drop rate and the foils and whatnot but you know there's always like the the big big hits you can get out of some of these collector boosters and i'm with you like 130 dollars for a box of collector boosters when a draft booster box is usually around right around 100 um that's pretty impressive that's that's real close to distributor price like you said that's somebody just trying to liquidate and move on um and and so, what? and sometimes there's Amazon pricing early on for products that are way out, like right. months before they ever hit the shelves. That's that's pretty good. And that one of the pro trader tricks that's very common is to lock in a big order on Amazon with before they've heard what our group buy is going to be, because most of the time we beat Amazon, but not always. That's not always possible. There's certainly some ancillary products where there, if the price point is very low, it gets harder and harder to do a group buy. Like it's really hard to do you know, a $40 product and try to beat the market on the price because the margin is just so slim. But if you're selling a $2,000 product, it's a lot easier. So the, you know, you, you lock in your Amazon order and then as, if they haven't shipped it yet, you can cancel. And they will also honor a price. If they shift the price lower after you've locked it in, but they haven't shipped it yet, you they will honor the lower price. So there's some definitely some benefits there, especially if you have an Amazon uh, credit card, you can get percentage points off that. And with other credit card rewards programs, you know, buying things with your credit card, you can also shave a few percentage points off here and there. And then, you know, if we might try to get a CB for a standard set, just a regular, say, just some random thing like Cal Time, we're going to get try to get it for our people between 180 and 200 a box when market is closer to 220. And if you want them up front and you really like the set, that's a great deal. But if you don't really care about the set and you and you are laser focused on profit, then generally without fail with a standard set, you can just wait till later to get to get right. them cheaper in the market somewhere. Somebody's going to be more desperate than whatever vendors we work with, or more desperate than Amazon, and they're going to drop the price low. Could get a Black Friday deal on you know the five EDH precons from the previous May. That's been pretty pop- popular on Amazon the last couple of years. Um, usually pops up. And, you know, I don't know how things are going to go with the next, like the next year worth of standard sets, because if they, they, 
it definitely complicates things when you shift the hype cycle to include reserve list cards. <laughs> like, right. we haven't had a standard set where you could pull a tabernacle anytime lately, like basically since Zendikar. And that was not well publicized. They've kind of learned their lesson and they're, they're handling the marketing around it much, much better. So Dominaria United boxes, are they, are they a good buy? Like even the, like, you know, the, we know that those cards are limited to the CBs and we know that the CBs are a single run, but we also know that they printed more of the CBs in anticipation of that. So if Wizards adjust the print run to account for the demand for the Tabernacles, then it doesn't automatically make it a better buy. But the market... I have not... Oh, go ahead. But the, but the pre-order price on these, because there's also that 11% wholesale price that's been passed down the chain uh and as a result of the tabernacle hype and the price increase these cbs are pre-ordering at a high price right like we've seen that between 250 and 300 um when typically people are getting cbs 180 to 220 up until now is that going to be sustainable or are you going to see those dominaria united cbs collapse three months out anyway we don't know We'll have to see how it goes. First of all, we don't know the full formulation. We don't know all the bells and whistles of Dominaria United. So we don't know how the EV will will break down. Like we don't know what the land cycle is in the set, etc. But I think it's it's safe to say that, you know, looking at a Time Spiral remastered or a really good secret layer or a Modern Horizons 2 or a, you know, for instance, a uh, a Russian Time Spiral box. That's an interesting case case study because there's no more Russian cards forthcoming. So if if, if right. part of part of the Russian foil market is straight up collectors, they're not playing with the cards; they're just owning them as the rarest, fanciest version of a card through the lens of their preference for Russian cards. But for the part of that market that was actually assembling decks in Russian, well, they're screwed. Yeah, and and more to the point. They that group will not be added to. No one who starts playing modern this year is going to go. I'm going to make my whole deck modern deck out of modern out of Russian cards, given that there might be a card put out for modern and Dominaria United, you know, a new Snapcaster Mage level card or whatever that will never be available in Russian. So you can't finish the deck. So does that? <laughs> On the one hand, you have never printed again, putting price pressure on Russian foil OBFs from Time Spiral Remastered. If, if there's, say, single cards you might put in an EDH deck. Because, for instance, in my decks, I have a preference for Russian foils, but I have zero compunction about the whole deck being Russian foil. My decks, the theme of my decks is fancy cards. Like my Atraxa deck is a hodgepodge. It's like all sorts of fancy cards of various pedigrees a beta soul ring alongside a russian foil snapcaster or whatever but some people want all their cards spanish all their cards russian all their cards borderless whatever and so you know is russian product a hold or a sell i i'm not honestly not sure yet i think that um You've, you've gone over a lot here, and one of the things to, to talk about these these sealed product is that um, in almost all cases, sealed is going... You're either doing what you talked about at the beginning with a quick flip, like you get in 
uh, below what the early hype price is and you flip into that hype, which is a totally valid and good for, you know, a certain amount of profit. Um, that's what I'm hoping to do with the uh, group buy we did on Dominaria United uh, Collector Boosters. But there's also the, the flip side of that where in a lot of cases you to to make the big money you've got to play an incredibly patient game and it's not always super profitable to play that long-term game you know what i mean well and to reiterate i think what one of the things is if you're starting fresh like you're a magic player who's looking to transition into mtg finance which is a decent chunk of the people that end up being pro traders versus the other bigger chunk of pro traders which is people that have been playing magic for 5 10 15 20 years and have been dabbling in finance for ages maybe they have a tcg player store or an ebay store or they sell a lot on facebook they play edh they go to fnm and they speculate to support their hobby um the difference between the second versus the first group of of people is there's a very wide gap in terms of expectation and understanding of your own personal reality and the context within which you operate as someone who's slinging cardboard on the side in the sense that when you're just starting out, you don't know what your ROI is going to be overall. So you don't know what your target is, which is why I said earlier, like for me, I know I can achieve 80 to hundred percent through a variety of actions over the course of the year, consistently in the six figures. So if I think I'm good, if I'm looking at, do I sell my double masters 2022 now or sell it a year from now when I am confident it will be worth maybe 30 to 40% more, what do I do? Well, if I'm hard up for time, it may result in me sitting on it. And I think there's a lot of people that are too busy to worry about flipping things on Facebook or eBay or TCG player or whatever. And so they're, we just call them all Travis. Yeah. Or they're, you know, they're Travis style armchair speculation. They're pretty good at it when they focus on it, but they have other bigger fish to fry. So things where they can fire and forget and just check in at intervals, three months, six months, 12 months or whatever, and then reassess is pretty good for them. If they focus on things that aren't likely to go down, but you don't really know how much they're going to go up. But if you know that you, you're in a churning mode where you can get 10, 15, 20% a month on your money, you may as well flip. If you, you know, there's no, there's zero shame in buying something for 1400 and flipping it for 1600 in a day, because that doesn't seem really impressive, you know, net, net raw, it's 200 bucks, but your annualized ROI is kept, you know, so high, you, there's no point even you know, referencing it. It's in the millions or billions or trillions. So if you know that you can do that over and over again, that there's going to be another opportunity in a few weeks to arbitrage some singles from Europe or some stuff from Japan, or you're going to, you know, facilitate a three-way trade where you're going to give somebody a card, then they're going to give you something. And then you're going to get the thing you wanted from the first guy for a hundred bucks less than you would have got it. Otherwise, if you're hustling like that, then you don't want to play the 50% a year game or the 25% a year game and, and wait on sealed product for four years and you, because you don't need to. And you clearly, you know, you have the time to execute on the, that particular game plan. So uh, I want to reiterate a point you just said. Um, 
both are valid. Like, oh, if yeah. you can, super. Like, di- if you can get the the immediate flip and and get that turned over, fantastic. If you are being patient on it uh, and you want to wait, then that is totally valid too. Uh, both have, like you said, applications in terms of like, do you feel good about your ability to keep the churn going? Do you just want to, I like fire and forget. That's a great way of phrasing, you know, I'm buying this thing that I know will be great in a couple of years when I have time to think about this again. All of that, uh, both of them are totally valid as long as you have made the correct choices on what to fire and forget. There's also a lot of external factors in play right now. Like currently, if we're talking about the state of sealed product right now, summer 2022, we've got COVID. We've got monkeypox. Like we're starting to talk in the Discord about, do we have to be worried about opening cards that people ship us? Like, are you supposed to leave your cards in in quarantine for a month before you open packages that you get? Because monkeypox can potentially linger on surfaces. And how much of it needs to be on a surface and how moist does that surface need to be for that to even be relevant? These are still open-ended questions. And you've also got the fact that we're essentially in a, in a recession in North America right now. It's, it's kind of hard to know for sure which way the wind blows over the next six or 12 months. But it's entirely possible that you could be a magic player whose job is not necessarily going to be secure. During this period, maybe you've got a family and you got kids to worry about and you don't want to be sitting on magic product that might be hard to unload later if you can get cash back in the bank and make your significant other happy with your ability to provide a little bit of a safety net. I mean, these, these are very relevant things right now. Um, I just think that it's important. We, we, we want to highlight that there's a lot of ways this can go down. And while there are a lot of, like, moonshot hits, um, you know, Oko uh, posted in our Discord how much he got for a case of VIPs that was 16 VIP packs from the first Double Masters. And it's it's a ridiculous number. But you can also get, like, um, well, yeah, we paid collector Our group buys on those were $100 a piece. Well, he's uh, doubled his money. Yeah. Um, there's also the fact that, like, right now on TCG Player, uh, you can get a collector booster of Throne of Eldraine for $325, which is growth from where it was. Like, I believe uh, these were commonly available in the 200 to 250 range. But, you know, $75 over uh, two years is not necessarily something you're just, like, shouting from the rooftops. It's good, but when you look at the, the fees and stuff... A lot of, like you said, standard things can be slower to grow. I, I like Throne of Eldraine long term. It's just that, um, again, you have to be selective with what you're picking and why you're picking it. Yeah, and I mean, we, we had Throne of Eldraine uh, CB. Well, group I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was a decent quick flip on those. And right. the growth since then does not justify having held them. But in the case of Double Masters, VIPs, and booster boxes, they've done extremely well. And that's interesting because the general sentiment amongst vendors in the Magic community was that that set was, quote-unquote, so overprinted. Because it felt like there was a glut of product in the market. 
part of it was that singles crashed pretty hard a couple months out because everybody got the VIPs as much as they could get their hands on. Everybody cracked the VIPs to try to find the best cards. All those cards ended up out there for sale and it just felt like there was too much of it for during the initial period. But well, I... but a year later, they were double ups plus. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of those cards rebanded hard. A lot of those cards got too cheap in Japan. I bought tons of Cyclonic Rifts from that set, t- tons of Mana Crypts. And so I've been doing following a similar strategy with Double Masters 2022, um, picking up singles in Japan that I know are undervalued. And while I was at it, I went ahead and ordered a full case of the uh, Japanese draft booster boxes because the with how good the USD is to the yen, even though boxes have been drifting up in cost in Japan, the cost in US dollars has been drifting down. And so they were sold out for a couple of weeks, got a little bit of a restock in, and I went ahead and snapped off a whole case, even though it's going to be pro, like not cheap to ship it overseas because I'm confident that those boxes in particular are going to be are going to be a good hold. Okay, I can see that. But I just um for the longest like the the thing we we generally would caution people about not doing is buying a box or two of every draft booster set, throwing it in a closet and saying like this is going to be my retirement plan. Yeah, I don't like that plan at all. I mean, I, I like it better if you're picking and choosing which sets you do it with. I like it better if you're a big drafter with a local draft community and you guys like to pull a random box out and draft it here and there. That's cool. Um, I like it if you're a collector of boxes and you want one of everything. All of that makes perfect sense. It's totally fine. Um, but I think that if you're not sure what sealed to target... And so you're falling back on that plan that was more relevant 10 to 15 years ago where people were like stacking Innistrad boxes and cackling all the way to the bank. Uh, yeah, I mean, sign up for ProTrader or hang out in a Facebook group or just pay attention to the MTG Finance hashtags on various social platforms and let people's ideas bounce off you until you kind of triangulate what makes most sense for you. I mean, because that's... I, I think that's what um, the the level one thinking is in terms of sealed product, is I should buy some of everything. I don't know what's going to hit, but when it hits, I'm going to have a couple to sell. And that is just not the most effective way to use your money in terms of, like, magic finance. We can We can do a lot better than that. And... We are happy to help you do that. And if you're listening to this, that means you're you're probably trying to do better than that. All right. I think that's a pretty good overview of where things stand with the sealed world. Uh, Cliff, where can people find you online? You can find me online uh, on Twitter at Word of Commander or my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. And you folks can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic as well as via occasional articles on mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. 
Uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, dirty stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5, that's FINANCE with the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. James, another one in the book. Good job, buddy. Gonna go jump in the pool, a little dip before bedtime, and uh, wish you all the best over there in Summerland, Cliff. <laughs> Summer, it is uh, a delightful 67 degrees and overcast here in the Bay. Oh, wow. Thank you anyway, my friend, and we will see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. <laughs>